During the summer, we had a, a monk visiting Ajahn Pavaro. And just before he left, he had uh, what appeared to be a pretty severe sinus headache. He went back to Asia. Sinus headache didn't go away. He finally ended up in a, having a, an exam in a hospital, and they discovered he had bleeding uh, on his, uh, in his skull, between his skull and his brain. And that was causing both a headache and some mental confusion. So the solution to that is to drill a hole through the skull, relieve the pressure. And so they did that, and it helped. But then it got worse again. So they had to drill the same hole out again. And uh, we got news this morning that he, he came out of that surgery uh, and knew his name and where he was and his abbot's name and all that, what year it was. Uh, but uh, he made me laugh because the uh, person writing reported that the first thing he said when he came out of the anesthesia after this operation was, life is an adventure. Wow. One doesn't really know uh, what's going to happen next. Turns out it looks like he had either a, a, a mild head injury that causes unexpected bleeding, or it might have been also a side effect of, or one of the effects of a typhus infection that he had acquired somewhere along the line, uh, probably in Australia. Uh, which, and that's one of the side, one of the effects, one of the symptoms of uh, untreated typhus. So. Hopefully this will be the last time they have to do that to him. But it's not its not uh, unheard of to have to do that procedure more than once. So there's just another example for us all. Life is really an adventure, and sometimes the adventure is a fun one, and sometimes it's not so fun. But it's uncertain, and its uh, this is one of the, the recurring themes that uh, is emphasized over and over in the suttas and uh, by Ajahn Chah, all of our teachers. Uncertainty. The uh, the, uh, the modern English tra translates it as, uh, this word, anicca, gets mostly translated as impermanent. <laughs> but um, the word uncertain Actually captures more of the more of the uh, emotional uh, nuances of that word. It's pointing to, you could say, the, a fundamental truth, something which is absolutely incontrovertible, uh, inescapable, 
that everything that we think that we know is a little dodgy, you could say, a little squishy. Um, and so I'll give a concrete example. That's what I like to tell you. This, I'm now holding this bowl in my hand. And it seems really solid and substantial, really real. And so we all know that this is a, a bell. Put it on the right surface and hit it, and it makes a lovely noise. A bell. Um, but it's uncertain, right? Like the, the, the assignation or the, the, the assignment of the category bell is, of course, something that we do mentally. The bell doesn't know that it's a bell. It doesn't have any essence of bell built into it. If I, uh, if I hold it in just the wrong way, it loses its bellness, you know. Now it's just a ball making a kind of a bad clunking noise. The even the tone itself, this the sound of the bell. There's this raw experience of the sound. And then there's what the mind does with it. The raw experience is kind of unimpeachable, you could say. It's just there. But now where is it? We can remember it, but it's no longer with us. Right? So the, the sound of the bell at, the moment, at this moment really doesn't have any existence. It's gone. But our, our minds still hold on to it. Our minds are still representing it to us. We can sort of think of, well, what does that sound like? It sounds like, like that lovely sound. So we were able to reflect on the recent past and the distant past and represent to ourselves using our, our minds um, the sound of the bell and, of course, everything else that ever happened to us. But since there's no sound of the bell now, You could say that the bell, the sound of the bell arose and then persisted for a while and passed away. But its, it's um, inherent nature is, uh, it's only really true, you could say, when it's actually happening in the present moment. Other than that, it's a mental representation. And, and even the, when it's happening in the present moment, there's the raw experience of it. And at the same time, the reason that it's actually even evident to you is because you're paying attention to it. At that same moment while the bell was ringing, there were other sounds. It's like there always are. Minor motors running out here, people's stomachs growling, people shifting in their seats, making little brushing noises. Those are more apparent when we're uh, meditating in a quiet room. And most of these sounds, we simply don't pay attention to. And because we don't pay attention to them, they don't have any reality. They don't have any uh, um, impact on our minds. So if someone shifts in their seat while you're paying attention to the bell, 
um, you wouldn't say that that shift didn't make any noise. It did. And those, those vibrations of the, through the air uh, that that noise created touched your ear and tickled your nervous system and got ignored. It sort of got dropped off. And so that's the nature of all potential stimuli. If, if you don't hear something or you don't see something, even if it appears in your visual field and you don't pay it any attention, because you're thinking about something else or you're attending to something else. In a way, it's as though that thing didn't really happen. It doesn't have the same reality as something that you're actually paying attention to. Uh, and that's part of what that's part of what uncertainty is all about. The, the actual experience of moving from one moment to the next consciously. As we as we go through our lives. What's what exists for us is what we're paying attention to, what we're what we're actually uh, giving our awareness to, and so if we're doing walking meditation, we're we're giving a lot of awareness to the sensations of our feet. If we're sitting, we're trying to give awareness to our breath, but sometimes our awareness gets pulled away by by thoughts or memories or uh, noises that happen, and that generates thoughts that triggers thoughts. And so our awareness kind of wavers around and moves around. And while, you're, while your awareness is moving around, like while your awareness is listening to the bell, were you actually breathing while the bell was ringing? Well, if you weren't aware that you were breathing, well, then that's, that's the truth. You weren't aware that you were breathing. Probably you were breathing. Right? But it's, it's a little uncertain. You don't know whether the bell started on an in-breath or an out-breath. The mind just wasn't paying attention to that. It was paying attention to something else. And so this is, this is an aspect of what is called anicca, uncertainty. Uh, it, it shows up in lots of different ways. It shows up in the diversity of opinions that people have about things. So there's, there's that uh, wonderful story that you've probably heard about the uh, uh, medieval Chinese farmer whose um, horse runs away and his neighbors all lament for him, oh, that's, that's, that's bad. And he says, well, maybe it's bad, maybe not. You know? So then the horse comes back a couple of days later and brings a, a, another horse with it, right? so a friend horse. And they go, oh, that's good. And he says, well, maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. Then the, 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 the new horse uh, kicks his son and breaks his son's leg. Oh, that's bad. Hmm. But then the, uh, the army comes through and conscripts all the young men that are able-bodied. And so his, his son can't go. Oh, that's good. So, but, but maybe yes, maybe no. So the story goes on and on like this. Like everything that happens, um, we, we'll, we'll attach a label to it or we'll assign a, a category to it. And it's not just a, even those kind of value judgments of good and bad, although those are very elemental um, judgments that we apply or uh, assess, assessments that we apply to our experience. But whether something is good or bad is not inherent in the event itself, is not inherent in the thing itself. Like this object here being a bell isn't inherent in the shape or the metal or the material 
or the sound that it makes. The quality of being a bell is something that we're imposing on the experience with our minds, just like the assignment of good or bad uh, to an event that occurs in our life. The true nature of every event that occurs in our life is it, it, it's experiential. It sort of is what it is. It's, it's how it affects us, how it impacts us, how we react to it. Um, and that's about all you can really say about it, uh, to some extent. It's, it's not concrete. It's not absolute. It's not unambiguous. There's a little kind of uncertainty built into everything. There's a saying somewhere in the suttas, I can't remember exactly where, that uh, any speech about, any speech of evaluation that doesn't include the aspect of uncertainty is not the speech of a wise person. So to say something like, uh, you know, all Republicans are bad, or something like that, you know, is, is it's a it's a categorical statement which which assigns a, a truth value to an entire group of people, uh, as though that's inclusive and true, and it's you know a little bit of reflection would 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 show that that's that certainly is not something that would be a universally agreeable uh, assertion. It's not it's not wise speech to speak that way, uh, and so. You know, it's it's so you could you sort of um, provide some wiggle room in there by saying, well, some Republicans are bad, or maybe some Republicans are are motivated by by uh, unwholesome motivations. But you could say the same for some Democrats, and so it doesn't really add a whole lot of value to to, to judge people. And so our our opinions about other people are also uncertain. We 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 have uh, ideas and beliefs about. Uh, ourselves and the rest of the world and all the people that are in it that seem true just like this bell seems like it's a bell right? but it's our mind again the, the source of all trouble is our minds and uh, so our beliefs about how the world is how other people are um, they're, they're grounded of course in our direct experience and our experience is informed by everything that happened to us prior to this moment. And so this is what we mean by the word conditioned. Our experience is conditioned. Uh, if you've had, if you were traumatized as a child by bells, then this is not a, a, a pleasant sound necessarily to you. Um, if, if you associate you know, wonderful, beautiful ceremonies and stuff with bells, then that's, that can be a pleasant sound. But to say that all bell, that bells are ple have a pleasant sound is, it's just an opinion. It doesn't have certainty, a, a statement like that. So our, our experience moment to moment has this kind of raw content aspect, which is just this direct, uninterpreted, But we don't really live our lives there, just experiencing the moment. We mostly live our lives evaluating, judging, uh, framing things in terms of an inner narrative about how the world works, how 
how the world treats us, how other people are, how they should be. And it's this additional layer that the mind puts on everything that uh, causes most of the trouble that we have to put up with in our lives. So if um, you find yourself having to go to the hospital because of a, a series of racking headaches and they tell you, oh, there's a, there's a bleed happening in your brain and you have to drill a hole through your skull to let it out. Well, you could say that's bad, <laughs> but you could also just say, well, this is just the way it is. Whether it's uh, going in for uh, uh, to repair a filling for at the dentist or receiving your final illness diagnosis from a doctor. We're all going to have to face trouble with the body. Uh, many of us are facing trouble with the body at this very moment. And there's a, there's a tendency to, to, again, hold that opinion that it's, it's one way or another, it's bad, um, it's intolerable, it's, it's not fair. Um, and, and those kinds of opinions are, are, you could say, perfectly justifiable. We don't, we don't like being sick, we don't like being ill, we don't like having to face death, it's not fun. Uh, it's not gratifying. But this Buddhist path, if, as we follow it, we see that it's possible actually to let go of, of deeper and deeper layers of grasping to our own views and opinions about how things should be. And as we do so, there's a sense of, you could call it release or freedom, because without that extra layer of interpretation of events, interpretation of experiences, we can just exist and be present with the actual experience itself. It just has this purity to it. And the mind not labeling it good or labeling it bad, the mind not reacting to it, liking it or disliking it, pushing or pulling on it, simplifies things enormously. We can appreciate things. We can be grateful for things. Because there's not a competing narrative about how things should be different. And then life really is an adventure because there's no expectation for how it should be and there's an appreciation for what's good in any given moment. Which is something that's easy to lose sight of. If, uh, if they come and they put you under with anesthesia, well, for a while you're out, but you don't know that you're out. When you come to, uh, what a great thing to have a feeling of, of appreciation and gratitude for this moment of consciousness, this moment of awareness. Like right now, here we are, there's consciousness. There's, there's non-disturbance, there's peace, there's quietude, there's good fellowship, safety, warmth, protection, shelter. Dozens and dozens of good things. Any one of them could be the focus of your attention.
this is almost the, uh, the, the incredibly simple but incredibly difficult open secret of Buddhism. To train your mind to pay attention to what's worth paying attention to and to train it to let go of those things which aren't helpful. That's the, that's the core of the matter. That's the essence of it. If you have, your mind has bad habits. Our minds all have bad habits. Where it gets caught up in and fascinated by and entangled with thoughts and views and opinions about self and other and layers and layers of interpretation, judgment, and uh, self-referencing. And all those things take us away from the purity of the, of the, the present moment and create most of the suffering that we have to put up with in our lives. So if we're feeling sadness, grief, despair, anxiety, uh, loathing, hatred, revulsion, rejection, even just dislike, these reactions, they can come, they can just sort of come up in the mind and they can just leave, just like the bell when it gets hit, it, it rings for a while and then it, it fades away. Um, or we can grab onto them and just, we can feed them and keep them going and keep them going and keep them going by the way that we use our minds, by the way that we use our attention. In any given moment, there's, there's always a, something that you could put your attention on that would be uh, unpleasant. So you can attend to, uh, uh, in this moment, you could attend to the way those little fringes on the edge of the carpet are kind of going the wrong way. And you can think, well, those, you know, those, should be, those should be flattened out. They should be all nice and straight. And you could put all your attention on that and make yourself a little crazy about it. Or you could, you could criticize other people's posture. Or you could, you know, there's all kinds of things that you could decide aren't right. And you could attend to that. And none of that will make you happy. Uh, attending to those things won't actually make you happy. Uh, and so a lot of it's just a matter of being able to direct your attention consistently towards what's wholesome and to abandon what's not, whole, not wholesome, not helpful. So the Eightfold Noble Path, the whole, the whole outline of the Buddhist teaching is inclining us in that direction. When we adopt it, this is a, a tremendously helpful strategy is to simply ask ourselves the question at any given moment, what am I paying attention to? How am I using my attention? Am I attending to what's helping or wholesome or useful or uh, uplifting or not? And if not, then see if you can shift it. That's uh, a, a lot of what the Buddha is instructing us to do. And then there's another more subtle layer of our sense of ownership of things. If you can see that your views and opinions about other people are unwholesome and you decide not to feed them, one way to not feed them is to simply see that they, they're not really yours. They're not really, they don't really belong to you. There's simply something that happens in your mind. So this, when an external thing happens like this, this bell being wrong, coming from the outside world and your mind then puts the layer of identifying what it is it's a bell 
and then deciding that it's a pleasant bell, or maybe it's it's a little atonal. Or, um, I'd like the pitch to be a little bit higher, maybe the, maybe the bell to be a little purer. So you, you can have opinions and views about the bell, like everything else. And you can see that, that, that there's these two levels. There's the, the experience itself, and then there's the mind's interpretation of it. And the Buddha points out that we have these, he calls them the six sense doors. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, tactile sensations of the body or touch, and then the mental, the mind door. Thinking, evaluating, imagining, remembering. These are uh, these are the six ways that we know the world. When we hear something, usually that's coming from the outside. Right? But when we think something, like if I, uh, if I give you a mental image by saying a word, uh, um, palm tree. So now everybody, everybody can think of a palm tree, right? Um, before there wasn't a palm tree, but then I made the I made a sound with my mouth, and now everybody has a palm tree in their imagination. the The, the mental objects that we get are are connected to and stimulated by the outside world. But once you start thinking about palm trees, the that the external stimulation can cease utterly, and the mind can continue to manipulate the image of the palm tree. Right. So then you can have like the palm trees swing in the breeze, and, palm, and coconuts, and, and maybe you know, Pacific Islands someplace, and going on vacation. Oh yeah, I gotta go on vacation. I wonder if I got enough money to fly to Hawaii. That'd be great. You know? So then the mind can just go on this long journey, starting with this initial touch of the word palm tree. And this journeying of the mind is just a, is just a kind of a, a sequential attending to various possible. Uh, mind door stimuli. So just like there's always a lot of things to see in the world, if you open your eyes, there's a lot of things in the visual field. But if you're if you're a, if you're a book fanatic, then what, mostly what you see is all the books that are lying around. Or if you're if you're uh, really into architecture, then you notice the, the the roof line and the space and the door placement. Or if you're into people, then you notice the faces and the uh, other characteristics of people. So the mind can, it can aim itself at all the different objects that are available in a given field. The same goes with sound. If you're, you know, if you're kind of walking through a city, you can hear a lot of different stuff. You can pay attention to any, any manner of things. We're always in this, this environment where there's a lot of possibilities. The mind generates a huge number of possibilities that we could pay attention to. And because they're happening in our mind, we think that they're somehow uh, and it's a reasonable thing to think, but we think that they're ours. Uh, so we don't necessarily think that the bell, the sound of the bell is our sound of the bell, but we do tend to think that it's our hearing, or our experience of, of hearing belongs to us. And on th the basis of that ownership, we can get offended or or delighted by these external contacts. 
And by the same token, when a mental object like an opinion comes up in the mind, um, it's stimulated by something that started off in the outside world. And there's the possibility of simply saying, oh, look, there's my opinion. Yeah. My opinion about books, my opinion about food, my opinion about people. There it is. Perfectly understandable. Causes and conditions come together. Uh, someone says something to me and then my opinion comes up. If you look at it more like it's somebody says something to me and the opinion comes up rather than, oh, they shouldn't have said that. Uh, rather than, than jumping to the conclusion that your opinion is true and that you should defend it, uh, to simply see it as something that comes up. Uh, like the recognition of the sound of the bell. It's not something that you're choosing to do. It's something that the mind does automatically. When you hear the bell, the mind just perceives it, recognizes it. If you weren't paying attention to the bell, it would sort of happen in the background. Part of your mind might still operate enough to know that it was the bell ringing, but you wouldn't necessarily judge it beyond that, that simple point of recognition. So when our opinions and our beliefs come up in our minds, and we don't realize that that's what's happening. It's, it's our minds are sort of operating on a subconscious level or a, a not fully aware level with our, with our mental objects. And that's when they get the better of us. It's when we're not paying attention that our minds, uh, they kind of get, they get us into trouble. So if you find yourself in a grouchy mood or sad and despairing or anxious and, and uh, angry uh, or, or bitter, whatever negative mood might be coming into the mind, it has the same causal nature. It's not, it's not uncaused. The Buddha, the Buddha points this out over and over again. Everything that we're experiencing is causal. It has a causal basis. It comes from causes and conditions. None of it is spontaneously self-appearing without any, without any basis or precedent. So the things that are happening in our minds, we can always trace it back to this in, the impersonal nature of the outside world. Uh, we don't choose for things to be the way they are. When the bell rings, we don't, we don't choose to hear it the way it is. It just is that way. And then our minds can layer that there are our opinions and views about bells or people or, or anything is, uh, has the same kind of natural component. It's, it comes about because of the nature of minds. If you're born into this world and you're educated in this culture, you're going to have opinions which are recognizable within the context of this culture, but might seem very alien to other cultures. And so if you're, if you're born into uh, uh, Chinese culture, your, your opinions and views about how things are and should be will, will look different. Does that make them any more or less valid? Uh, obviously, it, it's, it's, it's pretty arbitrary. Uh, there's, no, there's no basis for, for, there's no outside basis to stand on that to judge other people's opinions that actually has any more truth or validity than any other one. This is a kind of a relativity of all human assessments of things. And that's another aspect of this uncertainty. Uh, if I say it's good and you say it's bad, Who's to say who's right? Uh, even if 99 people say that it's good and one person says it's bad, is it really good or is it really bad? So these, so opinions are, 
are pointing to this diversity of interpretation. That's what our minds do. Our minds interpret the world. So the world is what it is, and our minds do their best job to try to interpret it and represent it to us. And then we take our minds' conclusions as being the truth of the world. So the truth of the world is, you know, I deserve better, or I'm unworthy, or people don't treat me right, or it's, it's a tough world out there, people are greedy. Whatever our minds interpret the events that happen to us frames our experience and colors our view. And it seems totally true. It seems like the world's constantly confirming our view to us. And in that exact same world, there are other people who are getting a completely different message. So the, uh, the ambi ambiguity of the world, the, the opinionatedness of the world, is something that all minds necessarily are bound to partake of. We, you, you, if you're going to have an existence in the world, you have to have a body. And in the same, the same way, you have to have a viewpoint. It's a mistake, however, to take the body or the viewpoint as being somehow the central truth of the world, even though it seems that way. It's just another central, it's just another viewpoint. It's not central, it's not essential. And so as we, as we reflect on this aspect of our experience, as we kind of just go along and notice that our minds go here, they go there, they have this view, they have that view, and we don't necessarily believe that these things are the absolute truth, then we're, we're, we're leaning in the direction of, a, of recognizing the uncertainty, the, um, the non-absoluteness of things. And not just things in the outside world, like, uh, was that, a, um, was that a, a, an owl that I heard, or was that somebody talking? You know, if you, like, if you hear something just kind of faintly, maybe you don't really know what it is, and your mind is kind of uncertain about what it heard. The classic of that is, of course, walking along the path and seeing a rope, but thinking that it's a snake. As soon as you recognize that the snake is really a rope, then the mind flips over and reassigns its interpretation to the, to the stimuli. But the actual, the actual stimulus was never any different. It's always just this shape that the mind sees. So whatever's happening, the mind's interpreting its events, and it's if we can... Um, maintain the presence of mind, the mindfulness of mind, to watch our thoughts, to watch our interpretations, to watch our opinions, to watch our views come up, rather than just believing them and, go, and following them and taking them as true, but to just taking them as uncertain, as, as provisional, as transitory, as um, roughly equivalent to everybody else's, then our, light, our life gets lighter. It gets less bothersome. Even, even when something bad happens to us, we can have a, a view of more like life is just an adventure. Right? And this is just a bump along the, the road of that adventure. It's not that big of a deal. Even if it means the end, if you haven't been really grasping at your life, uh, when the end comes, then it's, it's the, the non-grasping of one's stance regarding the end of one's life. Uh, is going to be tremendously beneficial 
because in the end you have to let go. Buddhism is all about letting go. Letting go of, of views, letting go of opinions, letting go of ideals, and seeing the truth that lies behind our clinging to things. When we cling, we rigidify and solidify and make static the world and its objects and its events. We assign a, a truth value and then we, we believe it, even though it's just something we're doing with our minds. And that's the way the world works. And it's, it's the cause of all this suffering that, that we're, we've come here to try to bring to an end. It's what the Buddha is pointing to when he's teaching is that this tendency of the mind to reify the world, make it static, make it solid, make it uh, unchanging, make it certain rather than uncertain. Um, it doesn't actually save us. It doesn't actually relieve our suffering. It creates our suffering. So as we train our minds, and that's what this is all about. It's just a training. Nothing really that mystical about it. It's a, it's a cause and effect. Uh, process. If you train the mind to let go, then it gets better at letting go. If you, if you train the mind to cling, then it gets better at clinging. So most of us are, are you know, world-class experts at clinging to things. Uh, but the, uh, the alternative, which is to train the mind to let go, to see things in a more naturalistic way, with, uh, to lighten our grip on our views and opinions, and to let things just flow, let them just happen without interfering so much. Uh, gives tremendous mental relief, gives a lot of sense of freedom and lightness and, and open spaciousness in the mind. And so it's quite worthwhile. It, it's, uh, it's more amazing than you might think. When the filters come off, when the beliefs come off, then the experience of the world is more like just listening to the bell and its purity. It's actually pretty nice. And so even the experience of difficult things can be just so simple. Well, I have for those those words for your consideration. Handamanda Makata Sadukaranda Dama Se Sadu.